There were no classes in the school on the weekends he'd learned. He straightened up, considering what else he might do to the still form in front of him. You're sure it was screaming? Yeah, no, the security guard said. Maybe not screaming, you know, shouting, upset, for just a second or two. Then it stopped. Officer Diane Franciscovich, a portable working out of the 20th precinct, looked at her partner, Nancy Osonio, another young patrol officer. This was a first for them. The two women officers, on their Saturday morning watch, had been spotted on the sidewalk and motioned inside by the guard to help check out the screaming. Spooky place, Osonio offered, looking around. Franciscovich nodded to a doorway in front of them. What's through there? Be no reason for students to be there, it's only... Franciscovich pushed the door open. Inside was a small lobby that led to a door labeled Recital Hall A, and near that door was the body of a young woman, trussed up, rope around her neck, hands in cuffs, eyes open in death. A brown-haired, bearded man in his early fifties crouched over her. He looked up, surprised at their entry. No! Osonio cried. Oh, Christ! The guard gasped. The officers drew their weapons and Franciscovich sighted down on the man with what she thought was a surprisingly steady hand. You, don't move. Stand up slow, move away from her, and put your hands in the air. The man did as he was told. Franciscovich noticed that his right hand, over his head, was closed in a fist. Open your... Pop! She went blind as a flash of searing light filled the room. Then she saw vaguely, thanks to frizzled vision and the dissipating smoke, the killer running into the recital hall. He slammed the door shut. There was a thud inside as he moved a chair or table against the door. Osonio dropped to her knees in front of the girl. With a Swiss army knife, she cut the rope off her neck, rolled her over, and using a disposable mouthpiece, started CPR. Any other exits? Franciscovich shouted to the guard. Only one in the back around the corner, to the right. More thuds from inside as the killer beefed up his barricade. Franciscovich sprinted around the corner, toward the door the guard had told him about, calling for backup on her Motorola. As she looked ahead, she saw someone standing at the end of the corridor. Franciscovich stopped fast, drew a target on the man's chest, and shone the brilliant beam from her halogen flashlight on him. Lord, croaked the elderly janitor, dropping the broom he held. Franciscovich thanked God she'd kept her finger outside the trigger guard of the Glock. You see somebody coming out of that door? No, ma'am. How long you been here? I don't know, ten minutes, I guess. There was another thud of furniture from inside as the killer continued to blockade the door. Franciscovich sent the janitor into the main corridor with the security guard, then eased up to the side door. Another thump from inside. Nancy, you there? Franciscovich whispered into her handy talkie. Osonio's voice, shaky, said, She's dead, Diane. I tried, but she's dead. He didn't get out this way, Franciscovich said. He's still inside. I can hear him. Silence. Osonio's voice hardened. Let's go get him. No, Franciscovich said. We'll keep him contained till ESU gets here. Which is when she heard the man shout from inside, I've got a hostage. I've got a girl in here. Try to get in and I'll kill her. Oh, Jesus. We have to go in, Diane, Osonio whispered, 
Okay, we'll go in. I'll be coming in from your two o'clock. Don't shoot me. Okay, two o'clock. Go ahead. One. Franciskovich gripped the knob with her left hand. Two. Her finger slipped inside the guard of her weapon. Three. She shoved through the doorway into the large rectangular room. Freeze, she screamed, to an empty room. No sign of the killer. No sign of a hostage. A glance to her left, the other doorway, where Nancy Osonio stood. Where? the woman whispered. Franciscovich shook her head. She noticed about fifty wooden folding chairs arranged in neat rows. Four or five of them were lying on their back or sides. But they didn't seem to be a barricade. They were randomly kicked over. To her right was a low stage. On it sat an amplifier and two speakers, a battered grand piano. The young officers could see virtually everything in the room, except the perp. He's listening to music, the young aide said. I'm not listening to music. The music happens to be on, that's all. Music, huh? Lon Salito muttered as he walked into Lincoln Rhymes' bedroom. That's a coincidence. What do you mean, coincidence? Got a bizarre case, Link. Found a body a half hour ago at a music school up the street from here. I'm case officer, and we could use some help. Salito ran through some of the facts, slowly corralling Rhymes' attention. There's got to be some way out of the hall, but nobody from the school or our team can find out how. How's the scene? Still pretty virgin. Can we get Amelia to run it? Rhyme glanced at the clock. She's tied up for another twenty minutes or so. What's she doing? Oh, something dangerous, Rhyme said, concentrating once more on the music. Amelia Sachs was in the thick of the action, surveying the vacant lot where the perp's car rested against the dumpster. Officer, the captain beside her began. She ignored him and dropped into a crouch. She scanned the lot and was lifting her gun toward the only possible hiding place nearby, a short cul-de-sac behind the dumpster. Weapon, she cried, almost before she saw the motion. Everyone around her crouched as a large T-shirted man with a shotgun jogged out of the lot, making a run for the street. Sax's Glock was centered on his chest as he broke cover. Drop the weapon, she ordered. He hesitated a moment, then grinned and began to swing it toward the officers. She pushed her Glock forward, and in a cheerful voice she said, Bang, bang, you're dead. The shotgunner stopped and laughed. He shook his head in admiration. Damn good, I thought I was home free. Sax was pleased. She felt like a student who just aced an important exam, which was, in effect, exactly what had happened. Amelia Sachs was pursuing a new goal, her father, Herman, had been a portable, a beat cop in the patrol services division all his life. Sachs now had the same rank, and might have been content to remain there for another few years before moving up in the department. But after the September 11 attacks, she decided she wanted to do more for the city. So she'd submitted the paperwork to be promoted to detective sergeant. Sachs wanted to be more than a detective, which is just a job specialty. She wanted rank, too. In the NYPD, as in most police forces, one becomes a detective on the basis of merit and experience. To become a sergeant, though, the applicant goes through an arduous triathlon of exams, written, oral, and, what Sachs had just endured, 
an assessment exercise, a simulation to test practical skills at personal management, community sensitivities, and judgment under fire. The captain she had ignored, a soft-spoken veteran who resembled Lawrence Fishburne, was the primary assessor for the exercise and had been taking notes on her performance. Okay, officer, he said. We'll write up our results and they'll be attached to your review. Let me just say a word unofficially. You nailed the bastard. You can stand down now. Yes, sir. Which is when her pager beeped, and she looked down to see Lincoln Rhymes' number on the screen. The word urgent appeared after it. Gotta go, she said, and trotted toward her yellow Camaro. This is a school? Wheeling a large black crime scene suitcase behind her, Amelia Sachs walked through the dim corridor. How could anybody study music here? A half-dozen cops, four patrol officers and two in soft clothes, stood near a double doorway at the end of the hall. Disheveled Lon Salido, head down and hand clutching one of his notepads, was talking to a guard. Through the open doorway she glimpsed another dim space, in the middle of which was a light-colored form, the victim. Sack studied the young blonde woman, lying on her back ten feet away, belly arched up because her bound hands were underneath her. Who was the first officer? she asked. A tall woman with short brunette hair, her name tag reading D. Franciscovich, said, We were. A nod toward her blonde partner, N. Osonio. Osonio kept glancing at the body. Sachs guessed this was their first homicide. The two patrol officers gave their account of what had happened. Finding the perp, a flash of light, is disappearing. You said he claimed to have a hostage? That's what he said, Osonio offered. But everybody in the schools accounted for were sure he was bluffing. Victim? Svetlana Rosnikov, Osonio said. Twenty-four, student. Salido turned away from the security guard. He said to Sachs, Betting and Saul are interviewing everybody in the building here this morning. She nodded toward the scene. Any witnesses? Osonio said, There was a janitor outside the room when we got here, but he didn't see anything. Sack said, I still need to see the soles of his shoes for comparison. Could one of you find him for me? Sure. Osonio wandered off. From one of the black suitcases, Sachs extracted a zippered, clear plastic case. She opened it and pulled out a white Tyvek jumpsuit. Donning it, she pulled the hood over her head, then gloves. The outfit was standard issue now for all forensics techs at the NYPD. It prevented substances, trace, hair, epithelial skin cells, and foreign matter from sloughing off her body and contaminating the scene. The suit had booties, but she still did what Rhyme always insisted on, put rubber bands on her feet to distinguish her prints from the victims and the perps. Mounting the earphones on her head and adjusting the stock mic, she hooked up her Motorola. She called in a landline patch, and a moment later a complex arrangement of communication systems brought the low voice of Lincoln Rhyme into her ear. Sax, you there? Yep, it was just like you said. They had him cornered and he disappeared. She stepped carefully across the threshold into the scene itself. I'm at the body, Rhyme, she said, as she snapped digital pictures of the corpse. Go ahead. She's on her back, but the respondings found her on her abdomen. They turned her over to give her CPR, injuries consistent with strangulation. 
Sachs now delicately rolled the woman back onto her belly. Hands are in some kind of old-fashioned cuffs. I don't recognize them. Her watch is broken. Stopped at exactly 8 a.m. Doesn't look accidental. She closed her gloved hand around the woman's narrow wrist. It was shattered. Yep, Rhyme, he stomped on it. And it's nice, a Seiko. Why break it? Why not steal it? Good question, Sachs. Might be a clue, might be nothing. Sachs then used a tape roller to collect trace evidence. She bagged the trace and used a Vic kit to take hair combings and nail scraping samples from the woman's body. Sachs said, I'm going to walk the grid. The phrase, of Lincoln Rhymes' own creation, came from his preference for searching a crime scene. The grid pattern is the most comprehensive method, back and forth in one direction, then turning perpendicular and covering the same ground again, always remembering to examine the ceiling and walls as well as the ground or floor. Okay, got something, she told Rhyme a moment later. In the lobby, about ten feet away from the victim, piece of black cloth, silk. Interesting, Rhyme mused. Wonder what that's about. The lobby yielded nothing else, and she entered the performance space itself. As she started on the grid here, she felt a growing sense of discomfort. Rhyme, this is strange. There's burned string tied around the chairs that are lying on the ground. Fuses, too, it looks like. I smell nitrate and sulfur residue. The reporting said he fired around. But it's not the smell of smokeless powder. It's something else. Uh, okay. It's a little gray firecracker. Maybe that was the gunshot they heard. Hold on, there's something else. Under a chair. It's a small green circuit board with a speaker attached to it. She bagged everything, then left by the second door, the fire door, and electrostatic and photographed the footprints she'd found there. Finally, she took control samples to compare against the trace found on the victim and where the unsub had walked. Got everything, Rhyme. I'll be back in a half hour. She returned to the lobby and found Franciscovich and Osonio by the doorway. You find the janitor? she asked. I need to look at his shoes. Osonio shook her head. He told the guard he had to take his wife to work. I left a message with maintenance for him to call. Her partner said solemnly, Hey, officer, we were talking, Nancy and me, and we don't want this scumbag to get away. If there's anything more we can do, you know, to follow up, let us know. Sachs understood exactly how they felt. I'll see what I can do, she told them. Salido's radio crackled and he took the call. Listen for a moment. It's the Hardy Boys. They finished interviewing the...